What's up, Buggy fans? We are at Hill 4. That's right, it is season four of Shoot the Shit, and we are back with some more of the best stories in the world of Buggy to show you what makes a sport special, which is you, the characters and the teams that build up the wonderful legacy and lore of the sport of Buggy. So go ahead and strap on your safety harnesses, get in, because it's time for some more great Buggy stories here on Shoot the Shit. Hello, hello, hello. It's time for another episode of Shoot the Shit. This week, we kind of close this pseudo-Apex trilogy of episodes we're making to start the season, right? We talked about Pioneers, Apex, and now the Buggy Build book. This is a really cool document put together primarily by Dia Nuxel and Connor Hayes, uh, but help from a lot of other people, including Ethan Gladding, who joins us on this episode. Uh, it's a book, it's a document, it's live online on the BAA website. That's kind of the basic nuts and bolts if you want to put together a, a basic buggy and start your own team. It's all there. Uh, so some really cool stuff about the philosophy behind it, what it was like putting this document together, uh, and all that good stuff. Um, one important note to preface this, this was actually recorded in 2021 while the book was in development. It's finally out now, so we're finally releasing this episode. Uh, but if there are references to Bernie Sanders mittens or the Suez Canal or Game Stonks, or those are the only pop culture references I could remember from 2021. I don't know if they even show up in here, uh, but just keep that in mind that some of the stuff may be a little outdated or referencing things closer to uh, quarantine and all that, and that is the reason why. Uh, but some really cool stuff here. We're excited. The Buggy book is out. Um, you can actually check it out right now. I said on the Buggy Alumni Association website, the link is also in the bio, but without further ado, let's get into it. Buggy Build Book begins now. My name is Ethan Gladding. He, him, I was a pioneer in 2009 through 2011, at which point pioneers collapsed and we became Apex and I've been doing buggy every year since in some form or another. Uh, my name is Connor Hayes, I'm one of the founding members of Apex um, in 2012 when we launched, was in school through 2014 took a bit of a hiatus and then was able to come back for 2017 fall. So I was there for 2018 and 2019 race day as a student as well. I'm uh, Dia Nuxall. I was fringe chairman 2017, head mechanic 2018-19. And then I came back to be sweepstakes chair 2020. Well, thank you all so much. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, and an exciting uh, project to talk about, right? This buggy build book. Uh, now I know people probably close to the sport right now are familiar with what all you have been working on, but for someone who's maybe a bit more of a casual listener, I guess, do you want to just give a bit of a recap of what exactly uh, you're trying to do here with this buggy build book? Yeah. So I'll, I'll take a first shot at it and then let Ethan and, and Dia kind of fill in from there. So back in 2012 when we were founding apex one of the issues that we ran into was the level of secrecy around buggy specifically in the categories of building uh, a new buggy it was really tough to get good solid information about how to build why certain things were done and these were not just things like how to make something go fast. This was even down to things like how to make something comfortable and safe for a driver. 
So after going through that process of learning about building a buggy, Ethan and myself and the other founding members of Apex really wanted to take our experience and lower the bar of entry for anybody else who came after us. And that's where this idea of sort of an open source or a community build book came from. Any, anything to add, Ethan or Dia? I only um, became involved in this kind of in the last year. So I'm sure Ethan has kind of more history on it. For me, I had never really particularly thought about the need for open source buggy documentation um, because I was on Fringe, which historically has been one of the more secretive teams until I became sweepstakes chair, at which point I started working with the three new teams that were on the course um, during the 2019-2020 season. Um, so that's Delta Gamma, Kappa Kappa Gamma, Cap Sig, and AE Pi, which was returning. Um, so I was working with those three teams and it was difficult being a former member of Fringe to help them without overstepping, giving, a, uh, giving up any Fringe information that I wasn't really my place to give up. So in that kind of regard, I kind of started leaning on Apex, reached out to some people on Apex to see if they could support. And that's kind of how I wound up involved in this. New teams were thinking about their first builds. They were asking for advice, for guidance. I couldn't necessarily lean on my, my history for the specifics. And I found that Apex and the open source documentation that was already in place was a great resource. Um, so I was really excited to help build that. I think uh, one thing that might be interesting to note is that there is and has always been documentation of builds. Books are created, kept internally by teams, referenced year to year to ensure that you're not making the mistakes of your predecessors. When we have so much turnover in the student body, it is always possible that someone has thought of your great idea, tried it and had it not work. And the real innovation here, if it could even be called that, is just allowing these resources to be accessed by people outside of the teams. So like Dia is saying, Fringe, I'm sure, has a large collection of a lot of historical documents about their builds. It's how you are able to improve iteratively every year. Without that, and without any kind of starting point, a lot of teams are just in the dark, despite wanting to do buggy, thinking it's cool, even being uh, engineering uh, savvy, these folks don't have a way to get a leg up. There's no jumping off point. And that's, I think, one of the main reasons we wanted to open any kind of documentation that we did is so we could bring more, more people into the sport. Uh, but the, the books are out there. And there's been some interesting history about how they're, let's call it shared between teams. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when, when they do move between organizations. Yeah, so with what Ethan is, is insinuating there, um, kind of a, a side anecdote, but back in the early 2000s, and I'm spacing on the, on the guy's name, and Ethan, if you remember, you can pipe in, but there was a member of Fringe who was involved in um, the build of Brazen, which was a, a Fringe buggy from the early 2000s that won race day in 2001 and should have won in 2004 if it wasn't for a push bar DQ. And into a fight with some people at Fringe, ended up leaving and bringing this build book to Pioneers and basically being like, 
I will build you brazen, but like, I have to do everything. I get to keep this build book until the end of the build, in which case I will then give you the book. So they built a buggy. It ended up placing what, Ethan? I think second at race day that next year, but it was missing some of the nuance of a fringe buggy and kind of started falling apart in, in subsequent years. But the build book, what happened to it after that is kind of up in the air. Pioneers had it for a bit. Then maybe it was returned, but as far as I'm aware, Dia Fringe doesn't have it either. So no one knows exactly where it went. No, no, I don't believe Fringe has it. This is something that um, I also heard about kind of in freshman, sophomore year. It's kind of a, a notorious uh, chain of events within Fringe as well. Um, but no, I don't, I don't believe Fringe has that, that build book. All of this should be taken as uh, hearsay and speculation yeah. on all of our parts as none of us were present for any of this. All of our information is secondhand, despite being out of school now for some number of years, depending on who, which one of us <laughs> yeah. you ask. Nobody was around to hear this. And I've never seen that book. Connor's never seen that book. If Fringe doesn't have it, Dia's never seen it. Um, yeah, no, I I think that, I mean, this the version of the story I've heard is I think slightly different from, from what Connor just told because it's been passed down in a little game of telephone. <laughs> um, from fringe generation to fringe generation in the last 20 years so yeah absolutely not the full story but I, I have to imagine we don't have to get into them that's probably not the only time uh build book has been uh targeted in in buggy history between organizations definitely right. not and anytime we see builds especially historically come out that are really similar to one another there's always a suspicion of any kind of let's call it espionage, uh, corporate espionage, if we would. Uh, I don't have specifics, but I, I know that older people who have done buggy will have stories like this. I don't have any specific stories of like other books being stolen or, or anything like that, but I, I know that it has gotten to an extent there are at, at least one team that I know of that actually goes in and I'm trying to, I'm spacing on the word, but they actually will strike certain they'll information. They'll redact information <laughs> in their build books. And under the redaction, it'll be like, contact this alumni to know like what is here. So even if the book was passed to somebody else, you would not end up in a situation where they knew the, the true secrets of how to build that buggy, which is kind of crazy. That's that's it's, interesting. I um because Fringe I think was one of the teams that really kept their build books under lock and key, um and I think my so the build books were pretty much handwritten um up through maybe my sophomore year where we started kind of migrating some stuff to electronic and I remember people commented on that they were like are you sure it's safe to to have any of this information stored electronically <laughs> it was like it's it's 2017 you know um. It's not really effective to hand pass around a binder. There's also a question of the culture of the sport, I think, at this point, where we've moved kind of beyond the cutthroat rivalries that we've seen in decades past and where stealing somebody's information could be the difference between you winning uh, and them winning. I do think that most of what we've seen as far as advances in at least uh, small incremental advances in teams moving up through the rankings has a lot more to do with the quality of their builds, 
the like efficacy of their methods than it does with a new innovative technique that they've developed. Like a wheel compound couldn't be said to be the crazy innovation it might have been, like the jump from pneumatic to polyurethane, where that might have been like the big thing you reveal in any given year, the thing that your book might have the secret of. Yeah, I think a lot of the competitive edge in recent years um, has really come from the athleticism <clears throat> of, of the pushers more than anything else. And I think that has kind of contributed to this. I don't want to say that secrecy is going away, but it's certainly less cutthroat, less information is, is still secret, but it's not locked down in the way that it used to be. Yeah. And, and I definitely noticed that from, from my time in, you know, 12, 13, 14, when I was first around to when I came back in, in 18 and 19, it seemed that there was much more of a willingness from teams to share information. But also what I found when I came back was while there was a willingness to share information, it was almost as if the baseline of information in terms of like what needed to happen on a, on a starting level wasn't necessarily there and available in a way that people were willing to share. So that was another thing that really motivated me when I came back to campus to say, you know, I need to get back and get back into this project and really start to flesh this out because there, there was still a lot of questions with the new teams like Dia saw and with fight out back in, I think it was about 2015 or 2016 when they were first looking to build just about the basic things like, where do we buy carbon fiber at a reasonable price? What kind of carbon fiber should I be looking to buy? And, you know, are there any good resources that I can look at to understand how to use SolidWorks to design a shell of a buggy? And it's, it's hard to grow the sport in kind of any substantial way when that information, just that basic information is not available. Like even when Fringe was great while I was sweepstakes chair and offered to loan out two buggies to the new teams, right? But there was a lot of discussion around that and what buggies can we loan out without giving away any secrets? One of the ones we loaned out was an experimental buggy, which was Insight. And the other one was actually Brazen. And kind of, <laughs> yeah, that was a, there was a little bit of, um, I don't want to say uproar, but there was definitely some disbelief when we came to that decision. And I, I think really what drove it was we just tried to go back far enough that the buggies that we were loaning out were not similar to the buggies that we were building. And that definitely meant that the buggies that we were loaning out weren't ideal for new teams. Um, Brazen in particular is very small. Um, you need a really small driver to fit in Brazen. I know DG kind of struggled with that, um, getting a driver who would, who would fit. And I think that's a hard thing for any new team to do. And just because of the, the secrecy around the sport and the lack of just this basic information, it was hard for Fringe to be able to lend out their most new team friendly buggy. That, yeah. that, that makes sense. So maybe if we kind of step to Ethan, Connor, when did it become obvious to you, like, we got to make this? Was it sort of a day one thing or was there some point within you know, that, that generation of Apex that you're like, hey, you know, it'd be nice to have a buggy book. There is a moment. And that moment, I think, is probably 2010. We have gone through a full turnover of all members in 2009. All previous Pioneers members have graduated. 
and a uh, very uh, active and dedicated former CIA chairman, Vincent Zhang, has put together basically from scratch a brand new pioneers team, just enough to kind of roll on race day. And that team has no institutional knowledge. None of them have ever done buggy before. Most of them are first years and they are able to put together a team that rolls on race day 2010. And uh, then again, in 2011, during the 2011 trucks weekend, the buggy that, that we've been maintenancing that buggy was chaos, uh, gets damaged in a way where the creation of a new buggy seemed like a more viable strategy than trying to repair the damage that had happened to the one existing buggy that they still had functional. And at that point, we started digging into any resources pioneers had. And those resources were not well-developed, I think is a nice way of saying it. Buggy books were either handwritten, sometimes illegible, sometimes too specific to be useful. And then we had one that was a great resource that really kind of went over everything. But as you read through it and got to the end, the thing that was kind of revealed at the bitter end was that the buggy that they had built using these resources rolled for fewer than two months before problems within the construction were revealed and it eventually just had to stop rolling. And that buggy was Valkyrie. Uh, and it had the curved push bar, which was a great feature that offered no benefit. <laughs> It's just one of those one of those things where when when somebody gets to decide what the thing that goes into a build is, they just pick something that they love and sometimes it matters and sometimes it doesn't. But at that point, we needed to start building a buggy and the resources we had existed but were lacking. And a lot of the very first illustrations that went down on paper in the 2010 to 2011 cycle were just design drawings. Anytime you come to a meeting, it is important to have the thing you are talking about be clear. And for designing a physical object, that often means just drawing to spec so that you can point at stuff and talk about it. So the early illustrations of that were in the version of the book from 2012 are those early pioneers design drawings. We worked on that build, which is to say pioneers worked on that build at the time, but didn't get very far when pioneers kind of imploded and Apex was formed off campus at the res and they put together a team of people who were excited to do buggy. There was enough of them. There was a real spirit about pushing forward and kind of making this happen. And they were gonna do it like hell or high water. They were gonna put together a buggy team and go to race day. What we had for the first build that this was originally based on was a foam mold, a male mold and nothing else. So we were really starting from scratch um, and the documentation would be necessary if we had ever wanted to continue building on that. So at the time we had some resources that we had put together and that is the foundation of the first version of this book. And I will say my portion is small compared to what Connor and the whole Apex team would build up over the next year as they got into the sport as we got into the sport and started with loaners. Uh, loaners are a great way to get new teams into buggy. Um, so in 2012, 2011, Apex would come onto the scene and there's, there's like a lot you can learn. I'm an art student. 
uh, graduated with a BFA. Uh, Connor was originally an art student. Architecture, yep. Yep. And you don't need to be an engineer to build a buggy. I think that's a, a really important critical piece. You can learn this stuff, but on top of an undergraduate degree at Carnegie Mellon, where we're already working all the time, on top of maintaining everything else, sleep schedules, friendships, communicating with family, eating right, all of that, it's a big ask. And having any kind of resource that, that lowers that barrier to entry is super essential. So through the year that we went on to start trying to do our first builds, we would, we would kind of learn everything from where to source carbon fiber, which is a big question, to how to machine aluminum. There was an old mill down in the garage that we would use. Uh, there was a lot of learning, uh, but uh, it would have been nice to have more of a jumping off point than we had. For sure. And, and Will, to go back to your first point and kind of building off what Ethan said here, the point that really kicked it off for me, and Ethan, I think you'll remember this, it was maybe two or three o'clock in the morning um, after an all-nighter where Ethan and myself and, and a number, another former member of Apex named Jackson Toth, we were working on this really, really crazy convoluted idea on how to insert what are known as hard points to mount hardware to hold the rear wheel in place. And we were just running tests to try to get this idea to work. We kept running our heads through this and we couldn't figure out a, a way to do this better. And we tried this way like two or three times and it kept just failing. So it was two or three o'clock in the morning and we're finishing up this thing and it isn't coming out right. And now we're working on another version of it. And either Ethan or myself took the test piece that we had made, grabbed a hammer and a nail and nailed it to the wall, wrote above it, fail wall. Connor, that was you. That was all you. I was, and then yep. it became this whole big thing because we had these two pieces on the wall we were so pissed off and frustrated at each other this was i guess my way of trying to break the tension to get back to a point of like okay how do we fix this problem so we went through at that point and just kind of stopped stepped back looked at everything and said what what are we going to do like this isn't working we don't know where to go we've never really built anything with carbon fiber and you know, things that are in industry that were made out of carbon fiber, at least back in like 2011, 2012, it was relatively new. It was pretty much only being done in like Formula One racing or airplanes. And it was really not something that we could find a lot of information on how things were being installed. Like how was a hard point being laid into carbon fiber? What materials were they being made out of? And we got lucky that I had made friends during that first year with some fairly open-lipped buggy people, um, one of them being Jerry Carlson from CIA. And these were people who were willing to tell us a lot more than the rest of their team probably would have been comfortable with. And we brought them, you know, this test piece that we had done. And they kind of said to us, yeah, why don't you just do it this way? And all of us were like, well, won't it just fall out of the buggy? And they're like, no, this is like, this is how it's done. This is how we've done it. This is how other people do it. This is how they make airplanes. This is how they make race cars. It's like, this is just how it's done. And so at that point we were like, so we just wasted a month 
trying to figure out this idea. And it was that simple. And that was the moment for me where I went, we need this. We need this document that just has the, like, the bare minimum. Somebody says, I want to build a buggy. And I don't want it to break the first day that I bring it out to roll and spend all of this time and all of this money on something that I don't even get to see make it to race day. So that that was the, the jumping off point for me. The things that seemed obvious to them, we had just overthought like, and this this will go on throughout all buggy and all builds, but like you can go down a rabbit hole and it would be so nice to ha- to know that someone had gone down your rabbit hole before, tried it and determined that it just wasn't worth it or it didn't work. So you kind of have this moment like, oh shit, it would be really nice to have uh, all this written down. In some ways then realizing you're wanting to start documenting this, does that inform how you start going through the rest of your building even? And kind of like, well, how do we record this? Not just so the next Apex does it right, but anybody can do it right. One of the things we did pretty early on in this whole process was uh, I had made friends, or yeah, very early on in my college career with Arjuna Hayes, who was a former pioneer pusher and had gone on to be a CMU TV. No relation, by the way. That's true. No no relation to Connor Hayes. But CMU TV became involved with our build. We asked them to come and shoot what would have been little footage at the time. And they were preparing all kinds of packages uh, as they do every year that we have races that will prep uh, the teams that will show off kind of highlight reels, that kind of thing. And they recorded a pretty significant chunk of our composite layup steps. And uh, that was, I think, fairly unprecedented at that time and that it would be on video. But I think really early on, just knowing that we would need the documentation, that might've been the one of the earliest steps we went and reached out to someone to to do that documentation to hopefully the advantage of both groups. And I guess kind of talking about that video documentation too, one thing I was curious about, how is it set up? Is it kind of like a wiki? Is it a big like Google document? Does it integrate some of this multimedia stuff? Yeah, so I I think when we had the original idea for this was eventually an Apex website was going to be launched and all of our build documentation was going to be on there. It was going to be completely open and available for everybody. There was going to be the video footage from CMU TV and, you know, photographs and everything else, the, the written portions that we had done kind of explaining what we were doing. And I think the, the unfortunate thing about all that was we almost got a little bit ahead of ourselves um, in, in how much we wanted to do. And when these things didn't work out between the schoolwork that we were doing and everything else, we kind of lost the momentum and started getting more focused on how do we take Apex from a team that is just trying to be this upstart and turning it more into a team that, you know, had we had races last year, it would have been its ninth year running. So a lot of that got kind of pushed away in an internal focus of how do we focus on Apex rather than the, the buggy community at large. So now that we have a chance to, to bring it back, I, my hope would be that this will be something that will kind of grow organically now that the initial building block is in place. Yeah, one of the most important things uh, anyone can learn 
going to college, going to CMU is about scope and over scope and how to scale back on your dreams and, and kill your darlings as the phrase goes, because you're not going to get it all done. Having collaborator, collaborators is a, is a big step in, in getting it all done. If anything, anytime you can get somebody else to read your work, no matter what state it's in, no matter how bad it looks, have them do that because it'll get better every time. And I know on the vein of scope, that's something that, that Connor and I kind of um, reevaluated and discussed back in May when we kind of migrated this, all this information into the latest format, because I think we were getting, we were kind of torn, right? On one hand, you want to make this a big comprehensive, comprehensive document that really like teaches the new teams how to fish, you know, as opposed to giving them a design. And that would be the ideal world, but that's, that's a lot to put in a Google doc. And really for a new team, the most beneficial thing you can do is just, you know, build the thing because you learn a lot as you go. So, so it's an interesting balancing act for sure, kind of figuring out what the best scope of this, this document is, um, how much you want it to be big picture versus <clears throat> how much you want it to be an Ikea manual. In some sense, having it be a more prescribed design and a, and a less creative first design is really something I think new teams especially would benefit a lot from. You know, we really as Apex went coming in, had all these big ideas. We wanted to do this, you know, crazy complex, you know, world beating buggy. And one of the things that Ethan brought to us, which was great, is the knowledge of in buggy simple is really great to start off with. But on top of that, it isn't just about having that one buggy that can really do it all. There is something, especially for a starting team, but also for other teams to have that buggy that you can fall back on that you know is always gonna be consistent. It's going to fit a, a pretty decent multitude of drivers and it, it's not a maintenance headache. It's something that you can just utilize and not have to worry about. So having that, that sort of more basic design and that more basic buggy to fall back on was something that really kept Apex alive. You know, had we gone ahead and done a, and a, done a crazy build and it had failed, I think a lot of the momentum we had built up really would have kind of just shot everything down. And then on top of it, our second year, our creative energy, our angst to show people as sophomores at this point in time that we could compete with the big dogs, we went all in and we built this really small, really lightweight buggy and made a couple of key errors along the way that led to um, a major mechanical failure that caused it not to be able to race on race day in 2014. And by the time we were able to rebuild that buggy to a point where it could race. It wasn't fast. It wasn't large enough to fit drivers. It was very unreliable. So there really wasn't a whole lot that that buggy offered other than it being lighter than Phoenix. And the fact that Phoenix was always there for Apex to fall back on really was, I, I think, a key thing that kept the team together. And in a way, even now, it's still the introduction buggy that all of the new drivers for Apex, the first thing that they do is they drive Phoenix. It's a large buggy. It's a comfortable buggy for them. And we know that there isn't going to be a, a mechanical issue 
that that's going to lead to something, you know, maybe hurting the driver's confidence early on in, in their driving careers. I was going to say, I think that's also a pretty commonplace thing, even for teams that have all this history on fringe, we always made sure we had one buggy that was almost like a training buggy. You know, it was like, it was, you know, C team speed, but it was comfortable. It was large. It was easy to drive. We could really count on it. And that was kind of almost the backbone of our fleet in a lot of ways. So I think really it's, it's easy to make that mistake to go overly complex and have it really come back to hurt you later. This is still a philosophy that I push. And I think that I live, which is that you can't go to race day without a buggy. So you could build it heavy. It could be slow, but if it works and it gets you there, then you've, you've done a good job. No matter how many dropping push bars, how many wheels over three, you know, over 10 that you want to put on your buggy, <laughs> you're only going to get to race day. If you have something that still makes the circuit, hey, it was only nine. <laughs> was it only nine? It was only nine. I thought it was 12, but that, and I think that lesson comes from the collapse of pioneers is that the, the inability to roll meant that our whole team and lots of dedicated people, pushers who were there to ply their sport, to get better and faster every weekend, who wanted to show up to roles and to be out in the cold in the early morning, like frigid temps with all of their friends. They couldn't come out because we didn't have anything for them to push. And the whole team couldn't hold together without at least one buggy to rally around. And that I think that's one of the one of the hard things too, like from a head mechanic perspective, right? You get the head mechanic role and you're like, I want to build something really fast. Um, every head mechanic wants to build something crazy, complex, fast, that just, they want to build an A-team buggy. But really what you're doing is you're building a fleet of buggies and you're maintaining a fleet of buggies. So kind of the, the real philosophy is to make sure you have one dependable buggy in the fleet and that allows you to experiment a little more, right? So, so Fringe would alternate. They do, you know, one really dependable B, B team buggy, like Boson. And the next two years they would go nuts and then they would switch back. Because really like while it's great to want every single buggy to be an A team buggy, that's not realistic. Really it's not safe. It's not really a sustainable philosophy for a team. Those design cycles mimic what we see in computer science sometimes like the Intel innovate, refine, innovate, refine. And I think they serve, especially more established teams with the ability to build on their previous knowledge so well. And it, I think it is why that we see uh, interesting and high quality and well-polished builds from teams like Fringe, teams like SDC, uh, teams like CIA, who runs a similar cycle um, of, of Innovate Refine. And when you, when you have a workhorse buggy, it really allows you to take more risks in subsequent years, which is why I think it's really important to start off a, a new team with a workhorse buggy. That's kind of what we were going for. This is really interesting buggy philosophy. I don't know if some of these are in the document almost as FAQs. If not, just need to embed a link to this podcast or something. Because I feel like there's, there's lots what? of game being being dropped right here that could be helpful for a new team also. Sorry, Ethan, you were saying? Some things that have been dropped from the document just because of overscope issues was the things that I was really interested in getting down on paper were a lot of historical examples. Um, that are just not relevant to today's buggy. Things like four-wheeled buggies with soapbox derby wheels, things like three-wheelers with pneumatics, things like 
Brooklyn or other buggies where you're driving Brooklyn. feet first. Like those things are so interesting. And, and that was one of the things that really gripped me about the history of buggy. And, and you can learn it all. It's all still out there. And then also talking to your alumni or all alumni, many of whom will be willing to share more than you might think sometimes. But the, the new really purpose-built book that is, that is here now is much more focused. I think part of what informed the pivot towards almost an Ikea manual type of book um, was Connor and I were originally talking about actually accompanying this, this book with a build. We were talking about actually working with new teams and, and building on campus as we wrote this book to kind of provide supplemental information and test drive some of the instructions that we had written. But obviously the pandemic kind of kept that from happening. I, so I, this is actually a question that I have for the, for the two of you who have carried this forward to where we are. This book is based in a hypothetical. I see the provenance of a lot of the elements of it and a lot of the design decisions like were informed by some of the things that I was present for and a lot of the things I'd heard about secondhand. But is there a build that represents this book? At this point in time, the design that is in the book now is very much based on what we did with Phoenix and then adds on changes that Apex has made in their subsequent builds. And if there is a buggy that is most similar to what's in this document, it's the buggy that Apex built for race day 2020 that at this point in time still has not been revealed to the greater public. It's not obviously an exact copy or clone of it. There, there are other elements to it, but there is a, you know, a history and a baseline and a bit that is proven, right? It's, it's not just kind of pulled out of thin air and, and hypothetical. It's very much based on uh, a proven frame of reference that has been able to successfully make rolls around the course uh, at a relatively fast speed with longevity. And that's what I feel like is really what a, a new team needs. You know, obviously, would it be great if a team could build a malice on their first build that lasts for eight, nine years and, and is capable of winning race day? Sure. But I, I promise you, if you ask anybody on SDC, is it possible for someone to build malice with their first build? They would say, I don't even think I could build malice again let alone, you know, it was a miracle. We pulled it off the first time and I, I don't think we could do it again. So I don't see how a team like that would be able to make it happen. I would, I would say, and, and Connor, correct me if you feel like this isn't accurate. I would say mm -hmm. each of the individual design elements in our, in this design has been tried, has been built, has rolled around the course, that exact combination of design elements, maybe not. So it's, it's very similar to like Connor said, it's very similar to Apex's most recent build, um, their 2020 build, but it has a lot of the elements of Phoenix to reduce cost. So the balsa wood uh, base plate, for example, I would say it's it's kind of a Frankenstein of a lot of tried and true concepts. You're gonna get people mad about balsa wood base plates. I <laughs> loved balsa wood base plate, which is something which is a design element that went into Phoenix because one of our alumni, one of the Pioneers alumni promised they would fund. They were like, I will give you money if you do my idea. And that's a, a long history in Pioneers is I have an idea and I'll do it and I'll finance it, but you have to 
or rather you have to do it, but I'll finance it. We never got paid for that, did we? I don't remember. I don't think it would have mattered because having that balsa wood in the base plate allowed future teams, uh, like future years of Apex to have kind of no fear as they put fresh holes in the, in the, in the monocoque of the, of the build and add elements like new safety hard points. They rebuilt some of the steering support structures. I think they might've done new brakes at some point, but because it wasn't fragile, you could kind of do it with abandon. It allowed them to iterate within the design, within the original design. I love, I love that. And I think the cost to weight ratio is amazing or the cost to strength ratio. Uh, especially when compared to some of the other base plate options that are utilized in buggy today. Yeah, no, the, the balsa base plate, I think definitely at first I was not entirely sure, but I know Connor, Connor had me, had me sold on it. Um, I think that there are a lot of, cause a lot of, a lot of older teams will shell out a ton of money for their composites. Um, but I think there, there are cheaper alternatives that, that get the job done. And that's kind of what we were going for. So I think that was one of the major differences is my impression from Apex's 2020 build was lower cost materials. Yeah. For folks who are listening and going, I can't believe they did it with wood. Uh, we should point out that this is shipbuilding end grain composite core material balsa wood. Uh, my year we bought a Brazilian balsa wood. It was a very specific uh, ship core material. And it was definitely doing exactly what it was intended to. And is it just a great resource if you aren't going to pay for high, like lightweight open cell foam? So this past year has really been a push to get this done. And it, uh, so kind of what was your process in terms of completing it? Was it sort of just, hey, here are the steps. You take this chapter, I take this chapter. Or like, how did everything really come together this year? Yeah, so Dia had reached out to me saying throughout the past year, maybe year and a half, because we were trying to figure out how to help these new teams get loaner buggies. Because um, one thing we hadn't mentioned at this point, the first year that Apex rolled on race day, we also used Fringe's Insight as a, as a loaner buggy. And we were able to make it work, but it was difficult um, to, to say the least. It's not the tallest buggy in terms of headroom. Helmets were a lot smaller back in the early 2000s because we didn't understand as much about concussions and, and what protected head injuries. So just getting a driver to be able to easily fit within that buggy was a problem. And, and there's a couple other things about it that made it a bit quirky to manage. Mm -hmm. So when we were talking about doing a build alongside it, the original idea was let's build a, a buggy as a loaner buggy that the BAA can loan out and then have this document on the side that says, this is how we built this loaner buggy. So if you just want to build this that you can now use forever, you already know how to use the buggy. You've already rolled a driver in it. You kind of know how it fits. This is how we built it. Um, and when we realized that that was something that First off, we, we always knew it was a little bit on the edge of the spirit of buggy, right? The buggies are yeah. always supposed to be built by the students and, and everything else. But we also want it to be something where it's not easy to get a good loaner buggy, right? Like a buggy that typically would make a good loaner is something that a team is not going to give up. They're going to roll that buggy until the point where it really is no longer 
usable for another team. You know, in the case of, of Apex with Phoenix, Phoenix is still in great shape now, but they're still using it as, as a loner. And I wonder if in, you know, two, three, four years from now, when they, you know, have fleshed out a, a fleet large enough and they have a new sort of, you know, backbone buggy, what kind of shape will Phoenix be in as a 13, 14 year old buggy? Um, is it still that, you know, safe, strong, reliable buggy that you would want somebody to have as a loner? So that was kind of the impetus for it. And over the past, I would say six years or so from the time that I left school until the time I came back, spending some time working not only with Fidelt, but working with the newer generation of Apex as they went out of a, a two or three year window where they didn't complete a new build. And we didn't do a great job about documenting what we had done on Phoenix up to that point. I had started writing a lot of what we had done, um, a lot of the trials and tribulations that we had faced. So I had certain documents that I knew I wanted to clean up and include in this. And then there were certain other portions that I didn't know as well, um, right? Like being a, a mechanical engineer um, is not my background. Um, so things that were a little bit more based in the, the engineering side or any descriptions of those things were things that Apex just isn't good at doing, like building windshields. Um, it's something that Apex still to this day struggles with that process. Whereas Fringe has a better process of doing it. You know, Dia and I sat there and said, okay, how can we break this up in things that don't give away Fringe secrets because the alumni would excommunicate Dia from Fringe forever <laughs> if she included that stuff. What do I already have written that we can build on um, and then what are the places where it would be better to have Dia, who's got a mechanical engineering background, write out these steps? Yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty good explanation of how we how we split it up. Yeah, I think the the initial intention to build a buggy along with it definitely informed some of the structure of the document. Like Connor said, the real reason that I reached out to him and we kind of got involved or I got involved in this was just out of my frustration with finding a good loner buggy. I started canvassing teams back during the summer of 2019, I think. I started canvassing teams to, actually it was, it was spring 2019. It was immediately after I got elected as sweepstakes chair. And there just, there aren't that many good loner buggies out there that teams are willing to part with, like Connor said, because you don't want to give up secrets. And it also has to be something that you're not rolling. And then the selection is pretty limited. So really, we went into this with the intention to build a perfect loner buggy for the new teams and for Fidelt was also looking at building. And so that is kind of how we structured the document, chapter by chapter, step by step, as if we were going through the actual build. And then, yeah, we split it up pretty much by what Connor already had, what I couldn't write about. I said, I'm not going anywhere near the steering section. Thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was had some more mechanical engineering technical knowledge behind it. We talked at the beginning kind of about the secrecy culture and everything. Fast forward to now, what have been initial reactions from community alumni, current students um, to kind of your doing this? So I started talking to some kind of early 2010s alumni about this when Connor and I really started to kind of revive it back in May, 
just to kind of get their reactions on how I should approach this, what things I could and couldn't share. And so that, that kind of helped me feel out what was the best way for me to approach this? What things do we really care about in terms of secrecy, right? If I'm telling a team how to body work a buggy, that's probably not something the alumni really care about. Um, if I'm just, you know, this is how you get the buggy smooth. I, I don't think they're too, too bothered. And what sections I should really stay away from, what things I should not give up. So that kind of, I had a sense for that, but I, I talked to some alumni and kind of got some opinions on that. And there were definitely times where I would be writing something and I would not be sure if it was okay or not. And so I would, I would ask other people in Fringe or I would ask alumni and be like, hey, do you think this is okay? And 90% of the time they were like, yeah, that's fine. Because I think a lot of, a lot of the more commonplace things um, that every team has, Fringe may have been really secretive about them 10 years ago, but now it's kind of like everyone does it, sure. You can tell them how to shape a windshield. That was one of them, right? That was one section that I was writing straight from scratch. I was like, am I sure this is okay? It was 100% fine. And then after that, I definitely did get some doubt, I guess, from current fringe, from past fringe. Um, everyone wants to make sure it's okay. Everyone wants to make sure there's nothing in there that's, that's a secret that I'm giving away. And so I've, I've made sure that there are fringe people reading this book and making sure I'm not sharing anything over the top. So Lena Griffin, the BAA, she's involved. She's read it. And I, I texted her and was like, hey, can you make sure I didn't give up anything that was too much? Tisha, current sweepstakes chair, had her kind of help me out with that as well. So I, I think that the best that I can do, right? Because I don't, I want to contribute. I don't want to give up too much has just been involve other people in Fringe over the process and have them kind of sanity check me. But I do think I, I reviewed the book again last week, just with that in particular in mind, because I'd gotten some questions and I went through and I, I think that ultimately it did work out pretty well. And there's really nothing Fringe specific in there, which I'm really happy with. I know Connor was a huge support and with things like steering and brakes, where I said, we're not going anywhere near a Fringe design. And um, we did some brainstorming and we ended up landing on Apex's 2020 build pretty much as an inspiration. So I think, I think we did a good job of staying away from that. It was definitely a unique challenge. Um, but I think everyone from Fringe who has read it so far has been pretty happy with it. They haven't really seen any problems, which is reassuring because it was definitely a little bit scary. And so most of the feedback that I have gotten at this point, at least, has been from members of, of the BAA. And what's been great about it is a couple of the current members in the BAA, believe it or not, have never really built a buggy or they were involved in a build, but weren't necessarily involved in the core portions of the design. Um, and a lot of the feedback that we have gotten from them is, you know, well, I, I still don't really understand what you're talking about in, in this point, which is great because now before it goes out to the public, Dia and I are able to rewrite this in a way and then get their feedback to see, you know, hey, now does this make sense to you? Would you be able to follow this step if you were reading through this document now? And uh, that kind of feedback has really been great for us. And it's also been awesome just to hear people say, you know, I was involved with the build and even still there were certain things here that I didn't think about. And I really now wish looking back at it, you know, we had considered these things. So having that feedback has been great. 
I imagine when this goes out to the greater public, there's going to be mixed feelings on it, um, as there has been pretty much since the beginning, really, with with what Ethan and myself and the rest of Apex has tried to do, which is just kind of, I, I don't know what language I'm allowed to use on here, but F all on, on secrecy um, has kind of been our, our thing from the beginning. And I imagine we'll probably get some feedback saying, you know, I don't really like this part of the design. I don't like that part of the design. But hopefully what that leads to is some collaboration with these people to further improve this. And while we need to be careful, though, because what we don't want to have happen is this becomes a thing where everybody tries to iterate on it, change it, improve it and turn it into this you know, buggy alumni association members build the greatest buggy of all time document, because that's not the mission of this book. That's not what we're trying to do. All we want to do is say, hey, you are kind of lost here on the first build. Here's a document that walks you through a build. But one thing that Dia and I haven't really talked about up to this point is it's not just saying, you know, here's a design, build it, and doesn't talk anything about how the designs were made or how to do a design differently. There are different sections within this build book, you know, an introduction to each section saying why this design was chosen, what the thought process was through this. And then throughout each section, there are blurbs that, that are talking about either advanced design techniques that they may want to consider on a future build or even possibly integrate into this first build that they can vary off of this document from. And also a section that gives them other considerations where if they wanted to do, you know, uh, a forward trike rather than a reverse trike, which this document is sort of built around, here is a, a basic rundown of how something like that would work. Now, you need to go and do that work yourself to design it, but we're putting you on the right foot so that when you go and make that change, you're able to do it in a way that doesn't lead to your base plate failing the night before race day, because I've experienced that and it sucks. Yeah. I think that that was kind of one of the, the compromises we came to with ourselves when um, we were scoping out this book, um, trying to figure out which direction we wanted to go. Do we want to go super big picture? Here is how to design a buggy from nothing, you know, or do we want to go step-by-step -step manual? That was kind of one of the compromises we came to. We don't want this to be too big picture and overwhelming for a new team to actually digest and do. We want this to be concrete. We want it to be driven towards the end goal of building a buggy. But at the same time, we don't want to just prescribe a design and then have the team not really know what else is out there. So there were, yeah, we, we talked about kind of blurbs on alternative designs, explaining our reasoning for this design, you know, if you want to go for a forward trike instead of a reverse trike, here are some of the considerations you would have to kind of take into account. We tried to kind of drop little bits of that big picture into each chapter. Very cool. You talk about getting it into the hands of the public soon, but I guess you want to talk a little bit about sort of, you know, over the next year, what, what you would hope happens kind of with this document once it's out to the public and how it'll be getting out there. At this point in time, we have what I would say is probably about like a third, maybe a fourth draft of the, the written portion of the document now completed. And we're working on coming up with a final format for 
how it's going to look, how it's going to be released. Um, ideally, where we want this to go is a release before this summer so that this spring when organizations bring in new members, organizations bring in new leadership, they will be able to read through this, understand what they need. There is a, a budget form in it as well so they can see, okay, how much money do we need to put aside? I would love to see a new buggy for 2021 that was built based on this document, whether it's an exact copy or just something that they read through this, saw it, went, okay, we're going to design our own thing here, but this gave us that basic knowledge. Hopefully we would see a team that would utilize this for 2021. Um, in terms of a rollout, Imagining that this is going to be hosted somewhere on the Buggy Alumni Association page, BAA, and that when this comes out, we'll be able to have a, a note at the end saying, you know, you can now find this at this link uh, on the BAA's website and circulate it. Make sure that the current students know about it. You know, through our fact finding in this process, even, you know, I found out that there are current teams on the course that don't have any documentation. Uh, would like to build, but don't really even know how to get back to that that point where they can build a buggy that that's you know comfortable. So you know whether it's a current team or a new team, if one person gets a benefit out of this um, and not having to go through the headaches that that Ethan and I faced, I think that's a win. Yeah, I think the the timing of this is is really crucial. Now, I know it's been kind of hard to keep the momentum going on this. Because I think a lot of the mentality, and I'll admit my mentality as well, kind of became, oh, no one's building right now. It felt like the urgency was kind of gone. But just looking at the year ahead, I think the timing is really crucial. And I'm looking forward to getting this out really soon. Because with the cancellation of Race Day 2020, and then the alumni-free 2021, that's, that's really hitting transfer of knowledge for teams. It's been really hard. I don't think anyone is building this this year. They're not um, allowed to. They're not allowed to. And so, so when that happens, that really hurts your team and your kind of your transfer of knowledge from, from one year to another. Um, and I think that this book can hopefully help get teams back on the right footing with that. I think that it's, it's a good resource, particularly given that there are a lot of people on campus now who no one in their organization remembers how to build a buggy. That was one of the problems that I know Fidelt was facing this past year even. So outside of new teams, I think it's the timing really does help with this transfer of knowledge information that the pandemic has kind of um, forced on teams. You may have kind of already already answered this, uh, you know, in talking about not wanting this to be alumni fantasy buggy or whatever, but is there any help you are looking for with this or things, you know, you, you'd put out as an ask to the community, maybe it's just spreading the word, but um, are there ways you see it growing to being some sort of a wiki or, or something like that? I would love to have a team test drive this book starting pretty early next year so that Connor and I can kind of work with them every step of the way to make sure our instructions are actually complete, comprehensive, doable. So I guess if there are any new teams out there who want to build next year, and I think I've talked to some people um, who'd be interested in test driving this and 
working with Connor and I, and we could even kind of release a revision on it if we found that we were missing information when the build actually did take place. I think that would be really helpful for the development of this. Yeah, and, and I think that the biggest help that we can get from this is just hearing ideas from the community, right? We, we worked mostly amongst, you know, starting with Ethan and myself and the NAAPEX people, and then now having Dia come in and, and kind of give us that final push to, to finish this off. We've worked almost in a bit of a bubble. For the most part, this document has been put together by a, a group of people that really just wanted to make this happen. My hope now is that it's out in the community. We will get the feedback saying, you know, potentially this document's kind of useless and this is what I need instead. And hopefully that is what happens. And we can find a way to then take what we put together in this and build momentum from there. Because if something is out there and people absolutely hate it, that's great because guess what? It gets people off, you know, their chairs to stand up and, and do something about it to fix the problem. Whereas right now, there's just nothing out there uh, that, that can really resolve this. So I'm looking forward to just seeing what happens next um, and, and kind of seeing where this goes. Yeah, I think we definitely haven't uh, deluded ourselves into thinking that it's a perfect document. We could put in another few months years, who knows how long, and make sure it's perfect before it's released. But I think the most valuable thing is to release it to the community, get the feedback, and then allow the, the book to evolve as we see necessary. Awesome. Well, I think this covers a lot of what I was looking to get to. Um, really excited to see, you know, over the next few years how it plays out. Uh, good luck with uh, wrapping it up. I know it's always tricky trying to put a bow on but I guess before close out anything like that, just want to see if you have anything else that I didn't get to uh, you'd like to share on this topic or other thoughts or anything like that. You guys want to talk about the state of buggy 2021, 2022 at this weird juncture, many teams have lost their veteran drivers and that pool has gotten smaller. Obviously institutional knowledge has graduated some of them without being able to even be together with everyone in the in the pandemic era uh, to celebrate their contributions to their teams and also to have them be celebrated it's it's hard because i think the institutional knowledge is really one of the most important things at this juncture and so from that perspective i think the best thing to be done is just to figure out how to safely get on the course and roll. Yeah, so going into 2022, which is the earliest chance that we're gonna have like a full official race day at this point, the teams are gonna be made up of drivers that at most have had one race day. Most mm -hmm. likely if they were freshmen, they got one race, maybe two in a low level heat or where they were probably way behind everybody else. They don't have the experience of, of being in a, in a close race. The mechanics are going to be brand new to running a truck on race day. As a freshman or a sophomore, typically you don't have a lot of leadership responsibility, uh, in, especially in the, the more established teams like a, a Fringe or an SDC. So the, the big thing for 
any team's success is going to be knowledge transfer. And I Mm -hmm. think that relates back to what we're trying to do here. One of the like prescriptive things we had put in the earliest drafts was what form does a buggy team take? Like we had gone that ground level and all of that was in there. But the, the key thing is knowledge transfer. Yeah, I think that it's interesting. I feel like given the cancellation of race day 2021 and everything, the the audience of our document and of all of your and Ethan's documents has really expanded. It's not just new teams anymore. There are teams that don't have a single person on campus or next year won't have a single person on campus who's experienced a race day. So for all intents and purposes, there will be a lot of teams on campus that are new teams in one way or another. So I think that kind of expanding this knowledge base is a really valuable thing to be doing right now because I think frankly I think the sport of buggy is in a really tough spot kind of in danger right now 2022 is going to have a really tough time as well almost rehabilitating the sport of buggy and and figuring out how to safely get teams back on the course and I think that all this information the build book as well as all the other information that I think was developed that Ethan and Connor are alluding to I think that's really valuable for to help, I'm sure Sweepstakes 2022 will appreciate it. Um, and all the teams on the course next year will appreciate it. Yeah, much much more so than when we started this. It is a timely time Very. To, yeah, to have this document exist, be released, and ha- be a community resource that people can access. My hope is that coming out of this, students will be like, we have the opportunity to do these things now that we weren't able to do for the last two years. You know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try it because who knows what's going to happen now? You know, things aren't, I can't take things for granted anymore. And I see it as a way that this could potentially grow buggy. I think that this could be a good thing. And I think that this could be something where people will get excited in a way that they haven't been in a long time. I think kind of to your point, I think this could also be something that's very leveling for buggy teams and, and do, some, do some interesting things for the rankings in the next few years. If you're going to start a new team, 2021 fall for 2022 race day is probably not a bad time yep. to, to get in uh, because, sure, maybe you don't know what's going on, but the head mechanic of CIA, they had one race, like for next year, they will have one race day under their belt. They would have been a freshman the last time there was a race day. So all of the, the tips and little things that CIA did to be a, a fairly dominant team, you could probably compete with them uh, much, much closer than you would have in any other year. Yeah. Agreed. It's just going to be interesting, especially I think there's something so unique to the sport, right? Where you do need to be huddled in a garage with a bunch of people. Well, thank you all. I thanks to all y'all have a <laughs> thank you, Will. good evening. Thank you, Rachel. Well. Fun trip down memory lane there with some of those last thoughts. Kind of interesting to go back to the future and, and see how some of all that played out. Uh, nice that we are into full buggy mode now out in the world. Uh, but thank you uh, to Ethan, Connor, Dia there. Really interesting conversation. And uh, again, hopefully something you are able maybe to take advantage of or, you know, other students are uh, to check out that build book. Again, if you look in the episode description, um, the link is there. 
Uh, additionally, you can find it at cmubuggy.org. And while you're there, go ahead and let us know what you think of the podcast. cmubuggy.org slash chat takes you into our Discord. Let us know what you love, what you hate, what you enjoyed about this episode, any other topics you'd like us to cover. We can be there and do it. Um, we get on uh, with other kind of topics next week out of sort of this apex verse and we go into uh kdr uh which should be fun we get a dive into the history of that buggy org um some really fun characters on that one so i think you're going to enjoy it i know i certainly did but as always thank you for listening i am will weiner thank you as always to rachel schmidt uh for putting this together editing producing all the behind the scenes stuff that makes this possible. Uh, So yeah, appreciate you tuning in and we'll talk to you next time on shoot the shit.